Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So last week we began to kind of uh, look at the uh, autobiography of the Apostle Paul. And interestingly enough, out of all the times you can read about Paul in Scripture, you almost have to kind of write a book about him by grabbing excerpts from other parts of Scripture and then put the book on Paul together. This, though, the section of Romans is the longest one place in Scripture autobiography of Paul. So if you want to hear who he is as a person, what he proclaimed most predominantly, what his purpose for ministry was, and what his passion was, you're going to find it in these 17 verses. Now, again, guests that were unable to be with us last week, I spent a great deal of time giving the first and second purpose or points of the Apostle Paul, and that is who he was. So let's look quickly. Romans chapter 1. We'll just kind of give you a quick review. You can get the CD and listen to it. I was uh, most blessed. I think I was sharing this recently, but someone had written me uh, an email and said, Hey, Pastor, uh, do you remember you were my pastor in upstate New York? And when you were up there, I felt so badly when you taught the book of Romans. I got in on chapter 8, and I missed chapters 1 through 7. And and same testimony I gave three weeks ago. She the family made so many notes in their Bible and she said, I, but one through seven hardly has any notes. And I came across you on the internet and I found out you're teaching the book of Romans. And then she says, we, I don't know what's wrong with this lady, but anyway, she's so excited about this and I'm excited about her for doing this. And then she said, our family are going to gather together and study it together on Sunday nights. And so I want you to know, if you miss some of these messages because you've got to go somewhere, let me encourage you. These messages are going to be best fit for you, one upon the other. So while there'll be standalone sermons most of the time, part one, part two, if I run out of time, but they're standalone messages, but they're not just standalone little topical little ditties. They're all connected together. And the more you bring them together, the deeper you'll go in Scripture and the higher you're going to go in your worship and understanding of God. So let me just encourage you to stay with the program. All right, with that being said, let's just look again at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Who was this guy, Paul? In Scripture it says he was a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The two points, first of all, he was a bondservant of the Lord. That meant everything that he did is because he loved the Lord, which now tells me we serve the Lord not because we want to serve the Lord. We serve the Lord because we love the Lord. So we confess him as our Savior and then, Lord, we love him with all of our heart and we love our neighbors. And if we love our neighbors, we're going to make disciples of them by leading them to Christ. And it all begins with confessing him as our Savior and Lord and then loving him. So my question to you is, In whatever personality style you have, men or women, do you love the Lord? And I'll tell you, your love will grow as you get deeper into his word and as you get to know him more. And Paul loved the Lord. That was, watch it, that was his sustaining reason for all he did in ministry was he was a bond slave of the Lord. And I love that about him. But it also said he was an apostle. We get that on tape later. But it's interesting to know that in other scriptures, he was identified as a preacher, a teacher, and an apostle. He's often referred to as those three. In my opinion, if you go a little bit further, you're going to find that not only was he a preacher, teacher, and apostle, he did other things. And some of the other things that he also did, besides preaching and teaching, is that he would come alongside others and in a private way disciple them for the Lord. So he had quite an extensive ministry of writing and reaching out to other people. So he wanted to touch lives. Here's my question to you. If you really love the Lord with all of your heart, your next question might be, 
what can I do with that love to touch another life? Now, you can be so myopic, as, as incredibly important as it is to be myopic. Start with your own family, the own, your own people and your own little people group that you have. But don't restrict it to that because you don't just stay home. You also go out into society. So wherever you go, you want to impact them. You'll never be a biblical apostle because those days are over. He called them. He sealed them. Once the scripture was concluded, that was the end of apostolicity. That was done. But it doesn't mean you can't go and start new ministries like apostles or plant a church if you're called into that or do something even in a business and say, I'm going to use my business for the glory of God. So in a sense, as an apostle, you've launched a new business or career. It's a loose, far extension, but you can do it for the Lord. You want to influence them. Well, back to the Apostle Paul. So this is who he was. He's a preacher, teacher, possible, apostle. And now what did he do? He was a preacher of the gospel. And I want you to mark that down because that's what he proclaimed. That would be if you cut his wrist, he would bleed the gospel. Again, what does the word gospel mean? It comes from the word that means good news. If you... Um, Oh, how can I say, if you passed a test, you'd say, I passed. If I got a raise. I got a promotion. I'm getting married. We're going to have a child. You know, we bought a new car. We got a new house. Those are all good news kind of things. Well, in this case, you can say, Jesus died and he rose again and you can have eternal life by faith alone. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are, your sins are paid for if you're trusting Christ. So I'm going to tell you that's the good news. But now, what does it um, what does it mean, or what is the gospel? Well, what the word means, you and God, it means good news, but what is it? Now listen carefully. It's the death and the resurrection of Christ. Now some people say, no, it's the death, burial, and resurrection. Well, I know what you're trying to say by that. I don't want to split it here, but if you took the passage in 1 Corinthians 15, you'd have to also add the fourth dimension, which would be, and he was seen of others, blah, 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 blah. So now you have four parts of the gospel, not three. And now you have a problem with that. So technically, the gospel is only made of two of those four. All right? You can't, when it says he died, okay, we, we know Jesus died, okay? Now, when he died, we know that he was buried. So, you really don't bury live people, you bury dead people. So, we know that he was buried because he died. So, the death is what he did. The burial proves that he died, that's all. So, the burial is the proof of the death. So, we have the death of Christ, that's the part of the salvation aspect of it. The second is he was raised again from the dead. That's the resurrection that satisfied the payment for all sin. Resurrection, life over death, life over Satan, life over sin. He's eternal life. He is God. He's everyone, everything he claimed to be. All right, so that's the resurrection. But really, you don't have much of a resurrection unless someone sees you. What good is it? You rose from the dead. Did anybody see him? No, we haven't seen him. How do you know he rose from the dead? So he has to be seen. So technically, the gospel is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. That's what puts it together. That's why Paul kept saying, among you, I'm glad that I only know Jesus Christ and him crucified, because that's part of the gospel. Now, that message that he wanted to preach the gospel, that's what he proclaimed. That's why you want to be with us, even though you know the death and resurrection of Christ. You're going to find the gospel referred to four times in chapter 1. It's going to be referred to four more times in chapter 15 and 16. So it's like bookends on everything he's saying in Romans. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And I'm going to highlight it as I go through to tell you he wanted to make people understand that Jesus died and he rose again from the dead. The other four times have kind of smattered all through the book of Romans because it's like the thread that ties the two bookends together, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my question for us today. What do you proclaim? How about those rainbow warriors, you know? 
How about the Wahini team? No, we don't, we don't proclaim that. I mean, we might talk about it a little bit. But I pray that in our mind, we understand the gospel. We understand the value of the gospel. We understand the passion of getting out to other people. So even when we're around others, we are silently and quietly praying, Lord, is there any way, because I am gospel-driven to some degree, and I want to know how can I begin to set up a conversation to probe those people with the gospel. Now, let me be very clear. It doesn't mean that everybody you talk to, you're going to be able to give them the entire, quote, plan of salvation. But it does mean that you sense yourself that you are a live person walking around people who are walking dead, who need the gospel. And I'm telling you, once we have that kind of a vision, it changes our lifestyle. In other words, we don't have to stop this and start that. It automatically comes about because we want people to come to know Christ as Savior. That's why at the end of this, it says here he is separated unto the gospel of God. If you drop down, if you will, to verse 9, it says, For God whom I serve uh, in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son. So now you have God the Father, God the Son. You have the deity going on here all about preaching the word and making it known to other people. So he wants to preach the gospel. So again, I want you to know that his life was one, that he loved the Lord. He wanted to help people come to faith, establish them in the faith, preaching the gospel. Now that's from last week. Let's go quickly and conclude what we're going to talk about today. The question now is going to be, what was his purpose? And this might be a question you'll ask yourself. If I want to do an effective ministry in the life of other people, what might I gain from the next section of scripture? What could I look at the Apostle Paul? This book is thick, 33,000 Bible verses. The book of Romans is got, you know, thousands of words in it, but if I could just take a little bite today, if I could only see one area, and I want to use Paul as my model, what might I see from his life that God the Holy Spirit chose to have it written for me to see about his purpose for doing ministry? So let's look at this little bite, and there'll be enough in it that'll keep us busy for the rest of our life. So let's follow along as I just read it to us and pick it up at verse 7. So we learned a little bit about what his message was. And then he says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. So he wanted to preach the gospel everywhere, but in this context, to those that were in Rome, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pause for just a moment. I'm going to go a little deep for you here, and I don't have time to unpack it in a great way, but listen carefully. Are you ready? The question is, is if he's preaching the gospel, which is the death and resurrection of Christ, and we always acquaint that with telling people how to go to heaven when they die, then why would he want to preach the gospel to those who are at Rome who are called saints, who are already Christians in the first place? Why would he re-preach the gospel to those who have already placed their faith in Christ? That must mean that the gospel is not just to save you from hell. That capsulized in the gospel is the entire essence of our being in Christ. It is our salvation experience because we trust in Christ through the death and resurrection. But it's not just that. We now live that resurrected life. Look up here if you will. All right. This, my arm here is going to represent Christ for just a moment. He died and he was buried and he rose again. My faith in that now means that I believe Jesus died and then he went to heaven. He resurrected. He did all that for my sins. For my sins, the scripture says. I believe in that. So now I have eternal life. But also something else happens. It's called the identification principle. When I place my faith in Christ who died, quote, was buried and rose again, I'm now identifying with him. Watch this now. The identification principle means it's as if I, you listening? 
died with Christ, was buried with Christ, and rose again with Christ. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, watch this, is the same power now that's going to raise me from the dead, and I'm going to go to heaven. So we're celebrating Lincoln's in heaven. It's not because he got there because he had the power. He got there because he believed in Christ and Jesus did all of that, but it was through his power that he had. Now stay with me. That same power that's going to take us, then when we're dead, 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 that moment that we die, we're absent from the body, present with the Lord is the same power that helps us live the Christian life victoriously. So capsuled in the gospel is not only just that I'm saved from hell and fire insurance, it's I now I can live a victorious Christian life. I now receive here the blessings of the Lord and eternally the blessings of the Lord and rewards in heaven because it's by that resurrection power that I have. So what Paul is really saying here, and you've got to pay attention to this because I'm going to end with the face-to-face line here. What does that all mean, all right? It means simply this, that when I trust in Christ, I'm trusting him as the one who died and rose again to give me eternal life. I'm trusting in him the moment I trust in him. He now seals me because of his power. I cannot lose it. And it's that same power now that I can live my Christian life. Listen carefully. You know about grace. I'm saved by grace. There are plenty of verses that says not only am I saved by God's grace, I am kept saved by his grace. I am taught by his grace. I am warned by his grace. And I am disciplined by his grace. And all that grace is manifested in the entire gospel experience that we have. So everything resides in the gospel. So when Paul was going places, it was to make sure that those who didn't know Christ as Savior would come to faith as a result of believing in Christ as the gospel. And then also they would live for Christ. Why? Because of the gospel's sake. So it's all wrapped up in that. So that's how you get that in that passage of scripture. So now when you walk up to someone and you have someone in your family and you say, okay, I want to be gospel focused with them. Your first thinking is, all right, the whole crux of this is they've got to understand the gospel to be saved. This is important now. If they never trust Christ as Savior, you cannot get an, a, an unsaved person then to live the Christian life in any sustained fashion. In fact, if you do not separate the two very clearly with them, you might lead them to believe that, okay, now I am living a good life and maybe it's my good works that God will be happy with and I now can go to heaven. No, that's why we explain the gospel to those who don't know Christ, make sure that they're saved. But once we ascertain the best humanly we can that they've trusted Christ, now we want them to know how they can live that that wonderful, sanctified life for Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of what he's trying to explain here. Now let's go a little bit further. That's what you want to do when you come alongside loved ones. So he says, called... As saints. Now, a saint is anyone who has trusted Christ as Savior. You can get that in some of my past teachings on that. So it's not someone who has done some great miracle and later on they dubbed him as a saint and you get a little statue in your house. No, a saint is anyone who has trusted Christ as Savior. Since this room is filled with so many believers, would you look to the person next to you and say, you're a saint. Would you tell them that right now? You don't have to act saintly. You're just a saint by trusting Christ. You're a saint. All right. Now, if you will, go back to that same person and say... I'm a saint. It's always louder when they say, I'm a saint, you know. Well, you are saints, and that's not because you acted saintly. It's because Jesus Christ separated you when you trusted Christ unto him. Then it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Apostle Paul's way of saying, are you ready for this? Help me with it. Aloha. Say that with me. Aloha. That's his way of doing that. Because today when we say aloha, we're breathing life into them. We're trying to take them in, in some measure, the, the Hawaiians would, would try to energize them to try to, to let them know that we are, are, we are in solidarity, that we're together. So when he would say grace 
in peace. That was kind of neat because in his audience would be people that were the Gentiles. And so they would understand the idea of grace, which is to rejoice. And then he would have Jewish believers who certainly knew what peace was all about, shalom. And so he would then kind of say hello to all of them. Today, we don't care what you are. We just simply say aloha. All right. He would say grace and peace. Now, what is interesting, in other writings, he added a third term, which was grace, mercy, and peace. The only point I want to make here is this. And now, this is, I'm stretching this. I may be way out on a limb exegetically, so be careful. Grace comes before peace. You receive God's grace and all that's wrapped up in salvation. And then there's that unique peace with God. And now you have the capacity to have the peace of God. Now that I said that, let me tell you that in the Greek, though, it is so close together, it's hard to separate the two. You know, you got the banana and you got the peel, okay? And so they're kind of like, what do you have here? I got a banana, but it's got a peel. It's got a, but they're all, it's, it's, and why do we eat bananas? Because they have a peel. Anyway, let's go back to this. I'm sorry. All right. So grace, and I love this. Mark it in your Bible now. If you have your Bible here, mark it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Link God and Christ together again. You'll see that all through the passage, except for the one time that he throws in the Holy Spirit in here to show you the Trinity in this whole thing going on. So you, you, when we serve the Lord and our whole faith being is based upon the person and the character of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit... All right, let's go to verse 8. Then he says, um, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I've, I've wrestled with this first. I mean, I read through this and I kept waiting for him to say, And second. I never found where he went to second and third and fourth. I'm a list guy. And so it kind of threw me for a loop. So I don't want you to get so hyped up on the word first. It probably only means this. That... Um, <clears throat> Before he gets into a lot of the heavy theology of soteriology and the other doctrine of salvation through the rest of the book, he wants to now say, I got to say this. This is on my heart. So first, let me get this out. I want to say this to you. And you know what this tells me about the Apostle Paul? Listen, teachers, preachers, me one. It's all about relationships with the Apostle Paul. Before he dumps a load of doctrine on him, it's all about, I care for you as a person. And he starts out by saying this. He's kind of like giving a little bit of a long compliment to them before he then continues his teaching. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Like that, for all of you. Why? Why does he thank him? Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And we're going to say the known world at that time. Throughout the whole world. Kind of a, a big statement there. But it's kind of like saying it's everywhere. In your margin, you might want to write this down. You might say he, had, he was complimenting them for a world-famous faith. A world-famous faith. Now, what is so cool about this is he looks at them and he says, you guys are famous. Your faith is known all over the place. Now, you really want to have some fun. Go home and read the other writings of the Apostle Paul to the other churches that he's writing to. Most of them, he said the same thing. It's because your faith is known everywhere. I hear about your faith. It's got to be out there. Everybody's talking about your faith. But in Thessalonica, he says, your faith and love. I love that. And then in Ephesians, he says the same thing. He says, I hear about your faith and your love. I like that. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Faith upward, love outward. Now, he didn't hammer down on love here in Romans, so I'm not going to tell you that that's found in the text. I will tell you, though, that other churches had that little love thing going on. So he says, everybody's talking about your faith and love. So I got thinking, 
All right, that's the Church of Rome. Now, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the believing in Christ Church in Rome. He said, your faith is known everywhere. What do you think most churches are known for today? Think about all the churches you know. Let me use some for right now. And these are not a dispersion on them. Okay, so if you're going home and you're saying, stand beat up on all these, I'm not. Some churches are known for their architecture. What churches, what three churches can you know that have tremendous architecture? In your own mind, what are they? What, what, is, the, what is the one church in downtown, what is that church known for? Kwai Hau Church. It's known for being the Westminster of the Pacific. Am I not right? The first church, the brick church, and how the, the Hawaiians would have to get all this coral up and then they'd build the blocks out of it. I still don't know how they did all of that. That's what they're known for. Not only known for that. I didn't say that, but they were known for that. How many are known for their jumping and jiving worship? I mean, they're just going to town at that. And I mean, everybody wants to be attracted to that energy. And they're known for that. Uh, some might be known for other things. We might be known here for that church that's up on Nepali. We might be known because we've got some pretty good missionaries here. I can tell you what I think we're known for because I send out a survey with everybody who comes and visits our church. If they're on island, I ask them to tell me what they thought before, during, and after the service and how we can improve it. I've been keeping these for years. The two things that I hear the most from them, so I can only imagine if they're telling me this, they may be telling others, so that might be our reputation. Number one is the love that you have when they step on this property. The love and the aloha that you express to them. And what's so cool is I never tell you, now go out there and say hi to so-and-so. Go ahead and put, put a smile on your face. I don't do that. You guys just, you're just, you're just loving people, you know? The second that we're known for is our pulpit ministry and some of the Bible teaching that we have here. And I'm grateful for that. Well, let me step back a little bit. What is our city known for? I know Hawaii is known for its blue skies and beaches and rainbows and waterfalls and palm trees and all that. But you know what else we're known for? Unfortunately, we're on the front end of the spear of same-sex marriage. Uh, secondly, we're number two in the entire country for teenage suicide. I heard that last night. What else are we known for? As bad a traffic as L.A. has. I mean, it goes on and on. Now let me ask you this. If our church now, coming back to international, is possibly known for its love and its pulpit ministry, maybe, teaching, what else could we be known for? If we were to be world famous, would it be of our faith? I don't hear that. And what is faith? Faith is the ability to endure in a cheerful way what God throws in our way. Okay. Now, what, a little bit further. When we talk about church, church isn't the, the, the ceiling, the walls, the building, the architecture. It isn't all of that. You know what church is? Me. I'm church. You're church. church. So what are you known for? Not what international is known for. What are you known for as a Christian? What would you be world famous for? And that's what he's complimenting them because they didn't have a building. I don't know what kind of music they had. I certainly don't even know who the preacher, pastor was of the Roman church. I, I don't know that. But I know this, Paul said, you all are known everywhere for your faith. Maybe this next year we ought to clean up our insides if there's any sin in our life individually. And then as a church, humbly sit before the Lord and say, Lord, give us, a, give us kind of a, a ray of vision or something, a prompting of what we can do that we haven't done in a long time that would be new and bigger than we are. So that when you do it, Lord, people would see the hand of the supernatural. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying name it and claim it. 
But I am saying is that we don't get into a rut of us four no more shut the door. And by the way, it's pretty safe if we do the same outreach events the same time of the year with the same people doing stuff and maybe add a little tweak here and a little tweak there. It's pretty safe. You know, I, I got two pair of shoes that look alike, but I wear the, the ones that don't look quite as nice as the new ones because they just, you know, they just, they're broken in. You know, I'm safe, all right? All right, so you got my point. Let's go a little bit further. And he says, For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, we made that point, is my witness. So he's basically saying, not only is this inspired by the Lord, but God knows that I'm saying this, so I'm not telling you a lie right now. How that unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. And let's stop for a moment. Man, that is jam full of high octane words. Always full, complete. I'm sharing, I just everywhere. I'm all the, you know. To me, that is prayer. And, and, I, and, and I would like to know do I pray for you like that? Carol and I, this, this past, I don't know, month or so, we felt more like we haven't been praying like we should. I don't mean we don't pray for you. But I, I want to pray as close to this kind of attitude that he had. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.